Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. Today's show is sponsored by Mikasa Home Inspections, Calgary's top-rated home inspection company. Mikasa understands that the highest quality of service is essential, so make sure to call Mikasa before your next real estate deal. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, on today's show, I had the pleasure of speaking with Jason Duncan. Jason is one of the co-founders of Rent Perks. So today we do a deep dive into how Rent Perks was founded, what they offer, and how they're setting themselves apart as a property management company. I think you'll find the interview very insightful. And if you've been considering hiring a property management company to manage your portfolio, then this is a great episode to listen to. Hey, morning, Jason. Just want to welcome you to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. Halloween today, so happy Halloween. Hey, happy Halloween. Pumpkins are in order. <laughs> yeah, and you can't see us on this podcast. Unfortunately, we're not participating. We're not wearing costumes right now. Yeah, I, uh, I don't get dolled up as much anymore, more for the kids and letting them have fun. But I was talking to my wife this year and I said, you know, I think next year we have to get like the whole family outfit so we can enjoy that moment right before we transition into not being involved anymore and, yeah. <laughs> and throwing candy out the door. And, I just uh, saw a friend's post and he's dressed up like Darth Vader. His wife is Princess Leia. And then Yoda is the baby. And I'm like, man, that's sweet. That's uh, awesome. That's pretty cool. Well, my smallest is Darth Vader. So that makes that a little more challenging in our, in our situation. <laughs> that's right. wonder what I'd end up being, but I digress. How did he connect with you today? Yes. Well, thank you. Let's start off and if you could just tell us about who you are and how you got involved in the property management space. Yeah, it's um, you a know, pretty long story. I grew up in the Toronto area. I was in the film industry. Tax was horrible and killing the business. Went back to university, spent a decade in the tech space. And then at a certain point, one of my buddies from university had moved out to Calgary to go into commercial real estate right after university. And He'd been back for a couple of weddings. We got to catch up and I kind of thought, well, oh, that sounds really interesting. Always had an interest in real estate. Uh, my business mentor ran Acon Construction out east and PCL was the director of pre-construction for all of Eastern Canada. So I, I kind of had grown up around a certain environment from it in earlier days when Cadillac Fairview was formed. Three of the four Toronto school board principals basically sold that idea to the pension fund. We're friends of my mom. And, and so there's always things in the background. And finally, I made a commitment to get into real estate. And I moved out to Calgary and entered commercial real estate. And then I did office leasing with some of the big shops. That was kind of boring. I made a lateral shift into industrial and really focused a lot on land assembly design builds. What was interesting along the way is I was coming out of the tech space and I was, you know, advanced on Salesforce and building repositories of data and things like that. And guys were still carrying briefcases with papers on their deal and just couldn't get past that. And so I built a pretty successful practice over a 10-year period. But along that way, I met a really good friend of mine who had uh, spent 30 years in risk consultancy with the big four, had lived in a number of different countries, had bought assets in each of those countries had relocated all over the place. And one night at dinner, I was complaining about you know, a couple of the properties back in Toronto and how shitty property management was. And he said, I got places in different countries. And I can tell you, it's exactly the same. It doesn't matter where the asset is. It's all the same. And he said, I've been actually working on this idea that I had years ago. 
And he had been involved in a management company back in Australia before moving to Canada. And so I, was, I was testing out some modeling. I'm trying to understand the process of the service delivery because my relationship to property managers is that they're all doing really stupid things for the type of individual they are. They should be focused on other aspects of the business. But I understand that the business model needs them to do all of these things because they pay them so highly and they need to generate a certain output from that cost base and property managers you know they're probably good to about 70 or 80 units in lease up in a year but the cost base in the traditional management model needs them to be over a hundred for it to actually be profitable. And that Delta ends up in this really grindy environment and a service delivery. And in a lot of instances, they're humans and they miss out on things. And so he's been trying to understand that. And I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting. I was in commercial real estate, so uh, well, you know, good luck. <laughs> and uh, yeah. the more we talked, the more it got really interesting. And what it was for me, Corey, as he started to explain how he was building it more for a model for scale than just to take care of a service in a local community. Well, that's kind of interesting. That's the, essentially the business model that I had built and exited before getting into real estate, which was managed service and subscription-based model. Well, maybe there's something a little more exciting to it. And you get into that bigger scale, you start to have things like brand engagement and consistency in a service delivery that crosses boundaries into other regions. And because it's a very tech-based business itself, it was a lot more exciting than making a segue over to take care of tenants and toilets, which is really the business model. And so we embarked on creating this model where we looked at the framework of the entire operating service delivery for management, and we broke it apart and we assessed things like regulatory requirements. Uh, you know, I'm a licensed broker in the Western provinces of BC, Alberta, and Saskatchewan. And in most instances in North America, anyways, we require a license in order to collect the rent, unlike Ontario East, where there's no regulation at all, which is part of the problem. But I digress. We looked at all of that. We looked at what needs to be done in field to create a really high touch service delivery. And then everything else that was basically a back office support system and then broke that down by you know a prioritized sequence of tasks and and we built out this framework and went well this is plausible like we could actually do this we can build this thing and so then we took it and we ran an rfp globally and we spent a year and a half out actually building the tech out and then launched the company once it was you know kind of set to release and we got okay well like here's this platform and you know we were not the guys that went into all these incubators and did the venture capital and go raise billions of dollars and then build a model and figure it out after the fact. We'd actually built the thing, spent all the time and all of our own personal resources in order to build it out. And then we got this thing. It's like, wow, okay. So we start going into the field and doing deployments. And it was really interesting the way it worked out because we didn't start off with the way that our company is built, which is an acquisition-based company. We organically acquired smaller rent rolls in different locations. Um, I'm in Calgary, so we initially spun up operations here, immediately went to Vancouver, where my partner now resides, and then we scaled out into Ontario. And this is when it was 
you know, just in our first year and a half, and it was really kind of getting interesting because as an operator, we're now across three different tenancy law regions for one and real estate license requirement. We actually have to have a brokerage ticket in order to collect rent in the Western provinces. And so having to do audits and set everything up that way, it got really interesting. And at that stage, we were getting some volumes to play around with the system and look at ways that we can improve the fact that we're in completely different regions while simultaneously being able to get everything up to a certain level or caliber of service delivery, regardless of that postal or zip code, as an example. So it was um, an interesting start. And then we got to about June uh, a year ago and decided we need to accelerate. And that's when we really started immersing ourselves into the investor community and trying to find who's doing the right things in the space. You know, you're licensed, I'm licensed. Sometimes we end up in situations where you want to run away from that, not walk in a lot of instances. And, <laughs> and then the flip side is seeing the ones that are, you know, actually sophisticated and know what they're doing and, and really understanding more of the landscape. And through that has really taught us channels of opportunities in our business model. And that's where we are now is we've really determined a number of different verticals within the industry for us to penetrate with our brand. And so we're at a stage now where we're aggressively looking to scale up across multi-markets. Nice. I was going to ask you about your affinity moment for when you guys basically started, you know, to think about rent perks. And the next one was a 10,000 foot view of rent perks. And we've kind of touched on some of that. Okay. Would you be able to maybe some of the additional <clears throat> gaps that you yep. feel that rent perks fills for someone like, a, you know, property owners that are looking to use a property management platform like this? Yeah, sure. I mean, first and foremost, one of our things with being multi-market is to really deal with a different caliber of asset and tenant environment in most instances you think about corporate relocation as a book of business, you know, I'm in Calgary, you're in Calgary. We know we've got a really big market for that because of the energy sector, but there are a lot of places around the world that have heavy aspects of that. Part of our model is to actually, when in multi-markets is to benefit both sides of that equation where you leave and we may take care of a property that you leave behind. Actually, I just took a phone call from a guy this morning in Calgary that's leaving and leaving a property behind. And so you go to another country and you're chasing your property manager around to find out what's happening and where your rent is and everything else. So we built a model that creates the transparency in the platform from a reporting standpoint and shows all the activity. But simultaneously, that individual is going somewhere. And, you know, on day one in a new city, you're not going in to buy because you don't know anything about it. You're probably on a contract. You don't know if it's going to get renewed, everything else. So you end up becoming a tenant on the other side. And, you know, for an executive getting into being treated like a tenant is amazing where you have to apply and show all your credit history. You know, I'm a high paid engineer or something else. You know, I've got a successful career in another country. Yeah, I'm new. And the whole platform takes care of them exactly like every other tenant in the space. And my partner had been on that side of the fence and I had been on that side of the fence when I came to Calgary. And, you know, it's amazing how the industry starts at a kind of a negative relationship and then tries to build upon it. And so we looked at that framework and tried to come up with a higher level view of creation of a platform that it actually serves both sides of the equation. It's not just for the landlord. It's also for the tenants. We've got 
you know, really interesting engagement with rewards and tech and commercial banking. We're partnered with TD as a merchant facility and Wells Fargo for our U.S. operations as we're expanding there now. And really what this offers is a nice consistent platform that as you move around through life, you can also kind of go, it's more of the gamification, you know, okay, my lease is up, I'm moving to Vancouver, I'm moving to Edmonton, and I can hit a button and I can lease right inside the app. So at a high level view, what we're really building is a service platform that has consistencies that you can end up on both sides of being our client and our business model is really focused on creating a relational context to both types of user group rather than just placing tenants and taking fees and hopeful to collect rent and take them to tribunals every time they do something wrong. What we're trying to do is really build a model focused on curating that top quartile of renter and then keeping them in our system. That's interesting. I never even thought about the corporate relocation. That's a great application for sure. Some of the biggest companies in the world are in that space. I mean, Cathay Pacific owns a corporate relocation business and they fly executives all over the world. And so, you know, part of our vision as a company is to really displace the traditional model within that framework. And that sort of touches in on where we're going as a company and why we have rewards, airlines and hotels being the biggest players in the space that have done anything around incentive-based modeling and Really, what we're trying to do with our brand of companies is curate that top quintile of renter to our assets and retain them. So there's two things in that. The curation is, you know, how you want to attract and de-risk placements on the front side of your cash flow. It's really important. So we built a lot of framework into that process and, you know, how we onboard our tenants. And then as we get into the rewarding and the incentive-based behavioral side, it's really about you know taking care of our good tenants and making them want to stay. And where it gets really interesting, Corey, is you know as we go into depressed marketplaces and economies are changing, this is where that model is going to really prove as a differentiator against just an asset in the marketplace that only has its location and price point as leverage in attracting and retaining anybody to pay the debt. So ostensibly we're representing a significantly different approach to monetizing assets and maintaining the consistencies around that by all of these incentive-based modeling approaches. Yeah, I definitely got some questions coming up on your guys' reward system. Sure. If we could talk about tenant selection, because you guys do take care of that as well. Maybe if you could talk about that process. And then I know you guys kind of got a unique system where you got boots on the ground in different locations, that yep. kind of stuff. Maybe we could talk about that. Yep. One of the biggest problems that I saw when we launched this company, and you know, I came from commercial real estate. I was clipping coupons and you know, big as your last deal. I totally get the model of compensation. But the problem in compensating personnel, property managers or personnel of property management companies, commissions on placements is their incentive is now to place a tenant and basically put bodies in the asset. It's not into the diligence of the quality of the placement profile of that individual. And so we spent some time really understanding that and trying to break it apart because you want to have a little bit of the involvement of the infield personnel to 
pay attention and like make notes on flagging people. They're like, don't let that guy in. Like, you know, there's something suspicious. And so what we've done is built it into the tech and it's a little bit of a rating system by our infield personnel. But the separation and the quality of the placement is that they don't actually control who ends up in the property. That gets taken care of by our concierge or our back office support team. And they're the ones that are going through reviewing employment history, reviewing credit history, looking at the behavior of the credit. I can't tell you how many property management companies I know right now out there in the field, they look at a credit rating and they think that's a be all and end all. And I'll give you a really good example. I was meeting with a landlord client and you know he's got 12 doors, you know, he's starting to build up a bit of a portfolio and, and we were talking and I said, if I only went on credit rating, I'd probably would miss out on placing tenants that accidentally bought something at a department store and forgot to pay the bill in the 18 months that you get. He says, my God, my wife literally this week just said, we've got to pay for the appliances because she bought them all on the stupid bank card. <laughs> and I kid you not, the data point on that is the single greatest impact of credit history are department store credit cards because you get up to the till and you're ready to pay and they sweet talk you into buying their card and not paying for yeah. whatever in a day. Get the 10% discount. You get busy. Yeah, you get the 10% discount right now and pay later. I've gone down that road too. And I'm a person that will definitely forget. And unfortunately, so totally. I've, I've tried to avoid it like, totally. like a plague. I mean, they're predicating on the fact that we're going to forget so they can make that money back. Right. And so we want to look at the history, like what's causing their rating. Is it something where they ended up being stupid? Like every one of us could be, or is it actually behavioral and it, we want to have a negative rating? And then in employment, you know, our processes for our personnel are to look at not just the contact information provided, but is that the owner of the company or if it's a large corporation and you work for TC, so we call HR and we're going to verify payroll, you know, we just need to validate they provided us this information and can you give a yes or no sort of a thing. And we've got processes in being able to get some information out of these corporations and things so that you know, we're not just looking at a numbers game and making a guesstimate that we know what that means. It's actually some research. And then in addition to that, we've got a little bit of an AI modeling that takes place. Essentially what it's doing is scouring the internet, looking for involvement in certain social behaviors that we flag as inappropriate. And we see those. And so our concierge, after we've got the feedback from our infield personnel over the shortlisted ones we wanna run, they're going through these and they're looking at everything and really determining fit because while our business does get compensated for the placement and arguably it is a good income part of our business model, we are more focused as a company into the MRR or that monthly recurring revenue that if we're not placing quality tenants and we're having to deal with turnover, well, then our business is obviously focused on trying to make money off of placements and is not going to build into a brand and it's going to miss out on all of the scale that we intend. So it's really important for us to take the diligence in that process and work through making sure that we've got good people in our platform on both sides. So, you know, in Calgary right now, it's definitely a landlord market. Uh, property gets posted and within probably 24 hours, they've got 150, 200 applicants. Some people are actually taking those down because they're getting overwhelmed, right? With so many applicants. With a model like that, I guess you could filter through so much faster to kind of 
maybe get down to, you know, a much lower number to start off with, right? There is a bit of that. But uh, one of the things at the front side, Corey, is that any of those people that are involved in nefarious activities, as an example, are going to look at us as an operator. And, you know, we're partnered with TD. All of our payments are digital. We have this tech platform. We do inspections digitally, like all of these things. They get a little nervous or apprehensive to even finish looking at a property in a lot of instances. And keep in mind, our infield personnel, as they're kind of letting people go through the property, what they're really doing is highlighting all of these things that we offer to our tenants. But it has a double-edged sword effect of really deterring a lot of those people that, you know, the suspicious ones that they don't want to apply. They don't want their data to be known in the way that our company is, is, you know, storing it all in a repository, as an example. They hear tenant ratings and rewards for tenant behavior and things. And they think, well, that means they're actually checking up on us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so they just kind of avoid it in a lot of instances, which reduces our requirement to filter through a lot of that noise. You're not going to accept the three-month cash offer. It's not going to be acceptable. <laughs> nope. Nope. Absolutely not. You're absolutely right. Yep. And this is interesting about the AI. So I think you guys are using it for, if someone was on your platform and they type in an inquiry, are you guys using it for that as well to kind of have a quick response time? Or is that... If they're looking for other properties, they're coming up toward their lease end and they're considering getting back out into the market. Our system does pick up on that. If they're looking at other properties we have as an example, it'll capture and it sees what they're looking at. It sees where they are and it makes a benchmark. Are you downsizing? Are you upsizing? Are you relocating regionally? So there's a bunch of stuff going on in the background. And then all of a sudden we start sending the highlight properties that are yeah. <laughs> they're popping to the market in that vicinity. Notice you're looking at Edmonton. We've got so this great you know, asset, blah, blah, blah. Sounds like Facebook. <laughs> Any of these platforms, right? That you do the same. There is a little bit of that because again, you know, if we have good profile data on them, they don't put holes in the wall and they pay on time. They're good tenants, right? We want to keep those guys. So yeah, yeah. we want to do what we can to recapture them and keep them in the system and grow our business that way. Nice. What about when a lease is coming to an end? Let's say someone signed a one or two year lease and there's a, and you're getting up to that three months left. How are you guys handling that to see, mm -hmm. are they going to renew? Are they going to move out? That kind of stuff. Our platform is so advanced in its automation, Corey. As an example, we give repetitious reminders at intervals that are a lead up to the end of that lease term. And if they haven't acknowledged by the defined terms of their lease, we automatically trigger advertising and access notices to the property. And we begin advertising to fill that property. We don't wait until they move out. As an example, and even during the pandemic, which was really interesting, we had a property up in Crescent Heights here in Calgary, and it was a bungalow, just nice little bungalow, nothing really glorious or special about it, but really decent. They'd done some renos in it. It looked nice. And it was a standalone home. And uh, we had a 24-hour vacancy from tenant to tenant in the property because we placed and had enough time to get in and have cleaners run through and get it ready. And they moved in the day following. We had one day vacancy on the property over a two-year period. So well, that's interesting. That's amazing because I think that's for sure a frustration point. I mean, a lot of property owners, maybe they have five units or something and they're not keeping track of when the lease is coming to an end or maybe their tenant's not being responsive and it's getting close where like, hey, I need to figure out, is this person staying? Or are they going to move out? Do I need to like, 
right? It can be. I'll a- tell you what nobody else is doing is also the fact that we know that property is coming vacant. We know that other tenants looking for something. We might be placing one of our existing tenants into that vacancy, and they just kind of keep inside the system and move over. Nice. That's yeah. Fundamental into our modeling and how we really retain that top quintile of renter. We got a lot on the curation side in attracting them, but really our business is predicated on keeping those quality tenants in our platform on a go forward. Smart, because just like in the real estate world, someone will move into a condo and then all of a sudden maybe something changes and it's not big enough and now they want a townhouse. So it's going to be the same with renters. There's going to be times when they want to you know, move to a different property. Maybe they get a pet and they want more space, that kind of thing. Or totally. Yeah. Hey, life happens, right? And yeah. uh, you have to be elastic and able to respond accordingly as things are thrown at you. And so, you know, the nice idea of having somebody in a property for five years is unrealistic. Tenants trade market average every 18 months. And if you were really getting into a situation that's projecting longer than that and expecting it's longer than that, well, then you're at risk also for, you know, potentially missing opportunities in market from revaluing your property and all of those aspects as well. So while the markets are going up, we want to work on the changeover so that we can potentially lift the rents and get better revenues to an asset. Simultaneously, going into a depressed marketplace, we kind of fall to the ladder where maybe we don't want the tenants out. They're good. They pay on time. They're not putting holes in the wall. And so we want to set little reminders and things about, oh, your next reward bump is coming up at interval, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, maybe reconsider relocating to another property and staying where you are. And so we're sort of unique in the regard of not just out to place tenants, but really keep them in there as well, but have the analytic side that we can advantage the situation based on what's happening in the markets in real time. Oh, that's awesome. Now, let's say Rent Perks is taking care of a unit and at 2 a.m., the toilet backs up something or there's some sort of issue going on. How are you guys handling that kind of stuff? Yeah, that is a great question. And it's probably something I've brought up so many times when you're a self-managing investor. You know, it's great when it's great, but stuff goes wrong at that 2 a.m. call or when you're on vacation and you're grasping at straws to take care of things. We operate 24-7 and our infield personnel are not the ones that are taking care of those calls. We have an app for our tenants and we've got an over 80% adoption rate, even in the properties that we've taken over management on, where people have actually used our app for maintenance requests. And so they open the app, they can take a photo, they can enter description, they can actually put in a schedule of availability in the calendar and hit the button. And then our concierge staff that are running all the back-end office support, they see that and they can facilitate with the vendors and they show the times for access. If nobody's available and we need to send personnel out, then our infield personnel will get scheduled in to go and open the door for the vendor as an example. But all of that happens through our platform so that we get out there and respond quickly. I'll give you an example. Most region tenancy laws require us to repair problems in 72 hours. Like that's not possible realistically in the last couple of years, mostly because of supply materials, but responding and communicating with the tenants about what's going on is paramount in that situation. And so our system is designed to flag anything in our system that's pending that goes beyond 24 hours. 
what that means if a maintenance request comes in and it hasn't been dealt with or actioned in 24 hours, it bumps it to management level so that we can determine if this is something that we need to address with our vendor. We need to address with the owner directly if there's something that goes above a threshold of spend or if it's just some operating grindy point so we can figure it out. It doesn't just sit there and wait to get done is the point. We want to act on it because it does two things. First and foremost, it does communicate with the tenant so they feel like we're sort of responsive to them and that changes their attitude toward your asset. So that's the first and arguably one of the more important ones. The second aspect of that that sort of hits your bottom line is we want to get to things quickly so that it doesn't grow into a more significant situation and end up costing significant capital in the process. And so we're always thinking about all aspects of what we need to do and how to improve upon it. But mostly is that everything happens through our system that as owners of the company, you know, my partners and I can sit back and look at this and say, there's an opportunity for improvement right there. It's telling us because it's done through the platform and being responded in certain ways that we can see these opportunities for improvement as well. Nice. I think the response time is huge. Like I've been trying to get a hold of a property manager for probably almost at least a week. I've left multiple voicemails. I've called multiple times and get no answer. I still haven't heard back. It gets a little frustrating when people aren't being responsive. Yeah, we completely understand. You know, keep in mind that I should state that I'm no longer invested in assets. And that was intentional when we launched the company so that, I mean, I'm a licensed broker, right? I've got a fiduciary obligation in our operations. And the one thing that I wanted to maintain was having no conflict of interest because in the reality, if markets change and all of a sudden, you know, things depress a lot and we're sitting there, you'll know that in the middle of the night, you're trying to sleep and, and laying in bed, you'll know that I'm not competing with you. I'm taking care of my client's assets. I'm not putting my properties first because I'm no longer an investor into the assets. And I can't tell you how many instances I've crossed just in the last year alone where property manager has their own assets. I mean, it's a lucrative business if you can do it right. And if you have an upper hand on getting in front of opportunities, why wouldn't you seize it? Well, the reason for me is that we're building a brand and I've just seen too much friction in that relationship to say that I want to provide a better platform and service, but I also have my own assets in the back window of, at the same time. Yeah, 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 for sure. So you, you touched on building maintenance. Could you just speak to that? A little bit? Yeah. First and foremost, we're a business that only does property management. So, you know, Corey, you're a realtor, you know, we don't compete against you. Like we don't market assets for trades on the marketplace and we don't do the maintenance. And this is really specific to us. In a lot of instances, a property management company will have an in-house maintenance division and you know, they always claim that this is a service model that offers benefit to the owners by you know, cost controls and everything. But the two things that argue against that are the fact that you've got salaries and you've got a depreciating equipment in that. And those are dollar costs. And so if a management company is charging you percentage, they've got to add all sorts of additional billing into their model somehow to afford the cost centers of those operating entities on the side of their management. 
And so we're very specific to only perform property management and we vendor out our maintenance. And so while the tech was being developed, we spent a year in research in the markets around maintenance. And we almost partnered with a couple of national partners that would have been able to facilitate almost all regions of operation to do plumbers, electricians, and everything else. And we looked at that and we said, really, we can do that ourselves. And we build our systems out to hold all the vendor information regionally. And when we go into a new region, we spend a lot of advanced time looking into vendors and getting a list of people, plumbers, you know, painters, everything that we're going to need as a service delivery. And we get them all on board. And then our system really reacts to um, almost a first come first serve. We want the ones that are going to get out there and take the service calls right away and not rely on Chris to take care of everything all the time, even though Chris is good. You know, he takes a week to get around to stuff. Sorry, Chris, that's not our model and it doesn't work. Steve, on the other hand, picks up the calls and he's out there within a couple hours. He's quick. Quality of work isn't bad, but arguably we pay him a little bit of a premium over what we could have got with Chris. But the most important things in our business model are get out there and fix it right away and not go back and do the same job twice or three times. So our system looks at all three metrics there. It looks at, you know, how quick response times are. It looks at the quality of work so that it will flag consistent billing at a job cost center. So if you're fixing a toilet at, you know, 516 ADAV, we know that you've gone in there. And if I get another work order request from a tenant, Chris, you know, you're taking too long and you're not doing good work. You got to go back and fix this thing because you're a company that I hired and your company owes me a warranty on the service. Nice. So, so we've got that. And then the third one is the billable hourly rate. And arguably we're tracking this data right now across you know 44 locations. So the data is interesting because we see consistencies and inconsistencies. And what we really want to identify are opportunities to go to Steve and say, Steve, you're a great guy. You show up really fast. You take care of our tenants and our owner's properties. And this is a great relationship. Quality works there. We would like to give you more work and negotiate the billable hourly rate. So we have a bit of a win-win scenario. And you arguably get one billing client with the streamlined work order process. So it's less for you to operate your business. And so we sort of play out at that game in our markets. But you know, anytime that there are slips in that process, it's flagging all of the service delivery so that we're looking at it and going, there's a problem. We need to identify the problem and come up with a solution and work around it. So you're not chasing your property manager for a week, trying to get their guys to get out and fix some repair when you could have called the plumber yourself. Arguably, we want to perform better than our owners can. And in most instances, if it's in your backyard, you're going to do better than a property manager is in most instances because of the experience that you're having. They're so focused on the front side of their business that the back end falls apart all over the place. And that's consistent. But you can't hire in another region that you don't live in. So you end up hiring a property manager and you end up getting very similar circumstance. And so what we're really building as a platform is multi-regional consistency of all the good aspects of what you want in property management and holding the accountability through the tech. I was just thinking about that. So like if you were a property investor and a lot of them do have properties in different geographical regions, maybe you've got a couple of rentals in Edmonton and then maybe you go further north, maybe something up in Grand Prairie. So if for somebody that's spread out and their assets are in 
multiple locations, this could be pretty beneficial, right? Maybe can you speak to that when you have? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we'd always built our company by design to provide that type of a service. And where it got really advanced in the last year is being able to build out our owner's portal on the website where your credentials allow you to log in and review your portfolio. So essentially it's a portfolio reporting tool in the landing page and it shows you a complete snapshot summary of every one of your assets as a roll up. And it looks at, you know, the rents, the debts, the vacancies, any arrears, any upcoming bills, like all of that stuff's right there at the push of a button. And then to go granular is that you can go down to each of the units, whether it be, you know, a triplex or a duplex home or um, an actual multi-residential asset with a number of units in a common area. It allows the breakdown, but you can get into sort of looking at the individual performance of each asset. But at the same time, you're driving around, you got a mobile app. And you see the summary snapshot at the push of a button anywhere you are in real time. And what this really allows us to do is get people to spend their time in our platform rather than calling us. Like we're out there facilitating everything. We have so much automation and making sure that we're getting to doing stuff that the flip side is that you don't have to engage with us as your property manager in the same ways anymore. What we're trying to do is get you to focus on using the platform as an advisory tool. You know, my background in commercial real estate was really detailed understanding around the financial modeling of the debts and things. And so what we're building towards is a really advanced tool in tracking your debt instruments across an entire portfolio that is multi-market. And one of the future iterations I'm working toward right now is building out a reporting tool that you can have JV partners on an asset in different percentage splits, and it will be able to tell you the performance of your debts with your partners from the revenue off of that asset in real time. Well, I can see that being really beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. Because obviously the complexity level just goes up when you have a JV deal. and Yeah, you don't have to spend your life in spreadsheets. There will be an option uh, soon, I'm hoping in a couple of months. So. Nice. Do you guys have a target savings percentage that you're looking for for your clients? Let's say by using your guys' platform, by using your software, have you guys estimated as opposed to say using a traditional property manager that's basically, like you said, he's got a briefcase, he's got his paperwork. Do you guys have any sort of like, okay. the, yeah. yeah, something like um, that? So I'm going to say no first, (laughs) only because I want you to understand that our model is a premium service. What we really represent is better revenue, more stabilized revenue. And so I don't want to start off in the negative of thinking that we're a cost-based business model. We're not. We're a premium provider. Like you hire us and you're going to get the benefit of us. If you're looking at a cost control Arguably, the only things that I would state that are built into the cost model are, you know, the three things that I see consistently happen with self-managing investors. And the reality is some of the risk of them fall over into existing property managers. And then you're not going to go into the specifics, but you'll pick up on it. So when you're managing an asset for yourself, you're in the market and you're kind of tired of dealing with the tenants and everything, and you want to play somebody and you think you've got somebody really good. And you're going to put them into your property for a year, maybe two years, whatever. And you'll end up negotiating against yourself as the first step to secure that quality tenant. So what's happened is you've lost 
uh, statistically on average one to three thousand in annual revenue on your property one to three thousand in potential loss just by thinking you've got a good tenant that you negotiated out of your pocket yourself the second one is arguably not having the right tools in place to de-risk the type of placement that you do and you end up at risk on average of three to eight thousand dollars and this is when you place a bad tenant i literally was having a conversation with a lawyer at a gala thing last week and i was explaining that to her she's just like god eight thousand how did you know i literally i just paid eight thousand to get my property back and restored <laughs> wow. like yeah, it was the magic number i said i'm so sorry you're at the worst end of the situation but it's statistical averages yeah. right you look at the damage and the loss of revenue over periods and you have to factor that's right. that in vacancy and, so, and then cash for keys like that's huge like, yeah yeah you can avoid I mean, those type of situations it's just that there are so many variations of what can go wrong if you're not in a position with the due diligence to prepare yourself and then the third is what you touched on and it's sort of built into the last one as well which is understanding structural vacancy and for those people that don't understand that i really want you to understand that go read up on it because if you are in a debt position and you are not properly projecting your revenues to account for a couple of months with no revenue to the asset and having to be out of pocket well guess what yeah that forces you back into the first situation where you negotiate against yourself and the cycle repeats endlessly it just that's the biggest three challenges in the industry that i see as an opportunity to change your approach and get a completely different revenue position over your investment strategy Nice. I think the other thing I like about it too is the lack of paperwork, you know, not having to print stuff out and all this stuff where it's all basically on a cloud and, you know, saved in an app. I like that. Like anything with paperwork and snail mail just bothers me. It's just slow. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, when I got into real estate and I saw guys carrying a briefcase with paper, I went, that's an opportunity for my success. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and turned it around and you're absolutely right. I mean, we do condition reports and they get captured digitally into the system. We've got all your financial modeling at a unit or an asset level. You can get in there and hit a button and export any period you want to run a rent rollover and all of the bills for vendor invoices and everything else it's all there we can also run the sophisticated ar for utility bills and other things like that as well to ensure that your tenants are in a position of actually paying those and you don't end up where i've seen some investors with months of utility bills mounting that that ends up hitting the title and again like that money you owe that money they don't care if it was a tenant situation you know we're in calgary so go tell nmax that your tenant's not paying the bill and it's not your fault guess where the connection is your house they don't care you're paying the bill and so there are a lot of things if you're not really holistic in your approach to managing that you can be at tremendous risk yeah for sure the other thing I was thinking about, I don't think we've touched on would be the tenant oh. insurance. Do you guys, yep. so you guys are involved with that too, right? Yeah. So first and foremost, we don't hand over keys unless we have evidence of the driver's license to make sure it's the person and also an insurance policy. It's written into our lease and whether it comes through us or it comes on their own accord, 
they must provide a valid tenant insurance policy prior to taking occupancy of a property. So in the application process, and I'd encourage anyone to look at our website and go onto the renters tab and just hit apply on any one of the properties that you see, and you're going to see the diligence of the documentation that we require in order to run the tenant application itself. And then as soon as they get approved in that and a lease is generated for them to sign, which is done digitally as well, they get an email reiterating the requirement for insurance. And if they don't have a provider, we've got an integrated platform for them that they can just hit the button and sign up. And you know, I think it's like 12 or 15 bucks a month. So it's you know a competitive platform and it's just integrated right there so that they don't have to go and spend all the time researching and stuff if they don't need to. If they haven't thought about it before, we make sure it's taken care of and ensure that it's done before we hand over the keys. Nice. Like I've had more questions, but we are getting tighter on time. So we'll just speak quickly through a few of these questions. So yeah. who would be your perfect customer or avatar for rent perks? Yeah, we just acquired one of them, actually. A lawyer in Vancouver, he's got five properties. He got really frustrated with management, ended up getting involved in managing the properties themselves and could not stand the fact that he was dealing with tenants and toilets. And, you know, he's got investments. He really just didn't want to be bothered at all. And so we got him onto our platform. Our partner had met with him and got him onto the platform. And, you know, three and a half months later, he sends an email over. He says, you know, I just want to commend you guys. I am so happy that I haven't heard a single thing from you since I signed up. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> His properties are taken care of. He can see everything, but like nobody's bothering him about making decisions or, you know, what do I do about this? And so I give you that reference specifically because if you are heavily engaged in your property and micromanaging everything, don't reach out to us. We're a company that has a very specific process about the way that we do things. And if you're going to be very hands-on, it can a lot of times interrupt. And more often than not, what I've seen is impact the actual revenues to the asset through friction and interference. So ideally, you know, in the single family space, it's those anywhere from one to, you know, arguably any number of assets that you hold across any regions. But, you know, it's not a size thing. We take individual investors, a separately titled condo, single family home. You've got a four or eight plex walk-up multi-residential asset. You've got a 140 unit apartment building. You've got brand new development with retail podium at the base and new residential above. We can serve all of those assets and uniquely well. Yeah, that's great. Something else unique, we've touched on it earlier. Maybe we'll just spend a few minutes just kind of going over the rent reward system. I do sure. have just a couple of questions. If you could just give us a really high level what that is. Sure. And yep. And where this comes from is, you know, by design, we're a company that's trying to do what the airlines and hotels did with incentive-based modeling. And if you look at them, the rewards companies are significantly higher valuation than the operating entities. And so what we're really trying to do is build a brand for renting to really create inbound demands to our platform from the tenant pool of the marketplace and thereby have a growing repository of quality profiled tenants to place into the properties that we manage. And where the rewards is currently is in its infancy stage, but we have upwards of 500 retail partners that we're connected with 
in North America. And it's incentive-based modeling. So the way the rewards work from an earn perspective, when we do inspections on the properties, which are done every six months, there's a bunch of analytics in the background of that that mirrors their payment consistencies. And so basically tenants that don't put holes in the wall and pay on time earn a full reward rate. And arguably there's a delta of the earn rate in, in there as well. So even in instances where we take over tenancies, we've noted improvements because as we're doing inspections and we're advising on them that you could earn more rewards by doing this and by doing that, we've actually seen improvements in a lot of instances, not in portfolios that have no capital to fix repairs and create bad tenant situations, by the way. So you know, <laughs> the type of owner we don't want, I don't want those guys that are pretending to be investors that are using other people's money and they actually have no money and the assets are not well capitalized because we want safe and habitable environments for the type of tenants we attract. And we want the brand to have the consistency of attracting better revenues to the assets, which you can't do if you're only using it as a debit machine. Uh, but yep. I digress. Where the rewards company is going, we've got a sort of pre-agreed contract with MasterCard. And when we get to a certain scale, we're going to be issuing that MasterCard in both debit and credit facilities. And so the debit will apply to you know a lot of those mixed tenancy type assets that the rents are, call it sub a thousand a month they'll still get an opportunity to earn rewards. It won't be the same as the credit card earn, obviously, but it'll be there. And then that adds additional reward points for them to accrue in addition to their behavior. But I'll use an example of a guy that's say the corporate relocation in Calgary. You know, he's renting a property at 3000 a month. The behavioral rewards may earn him a set of golf clubs or at least a very nice driver in one year of tenancy and he's opted in to pay rent by our credit card and he's earning best in class reward values it's going to be competitive with the avions and aeroplanes and so what's going to happen is the volume of rewards accrued over the value of rent in a year is going to allow that individual to use the points for travel and so the rewards company has an integrated travel booking platform and they'll be able to exchange for flights and hotels at the push of a button and then that also segues into maybe our next interview which is our recently piloted entry into the short stay model which we call stay with perks which touches on all the airbnb and vrbo modeling but in reality, as we get that out into the marketplace and we actually get into, say, resort stay type assets, that individual may quite likely end up redeeming the points for the flight and stay at uh, one of our properties and maybe book a round of golf and use the clubs and all just from paying rent on our platform. Wow, that's amazing. You could see how you'd get behavioral change from incentivizing it, right? Exactly. At scale, for sure. You know, we see it marginally having impact now. The further we grow and the further we start our brand engagement, which we're going to actually begin marketing our company uh, coming up into December. We've never done that to date. Everything has been organic growth. So if you know about us, it's because somebody's talking about us. And that's always a good thing. But we haven't spent a dollar in advertising our company, which is about to change. Interesting. That's awesome. So can you also just talk about the cost? So what's it going to cost the end user yep. to use rent perks? Yeah. So, I mean, there's always a factoring in there because we need to validate what the revenue of an asset is going to be. So, you know, as an example, if we end up in a tertiary market, 
where the revenues are not as solid as a density city center like Calgary or Vancouver or Edmonton. We may need to adjust, but our typical average rates are 7.9% from the monthly rent. We've got a $2.95 admin fee that we charge on a per unit base. This is a line we further develop our tech from. If and when there's a maintenance bill that's incurred, we've got a flat fee of $14.95 per work order. And then when we place new tenants, it's typically a half months to three weeks. Again, sort of dependent on the markets and the assets ability to perform. But when we sign somebody up, we actually go into field and do a sort of pre-assessment on the property. So one of the advantages is that we're gonna tell you what we think your property can do and where we might benefit. If you spend money on these things, we can get that better MRR or monthly recurring revenue for you by using it as an investment tool and not just a debit machine. Yeah, that's great. This kind of ends our discussion about rent perks. I got a few just quick rapid questions I'm just going to throw at you. So what's an app or a software you use in your business that you can't live without and it can't be rent perks? (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Come on, I'm doing everything. No, um, (laughs) you know, I would say for me, it's really my calendar system. I use Calendly and you know, I'm operating rent perks. I'm the broker. I've got a whole bunch of different things going on, but I also come from a background of land assembly design build, and I still have some consulting gigs that take place and things. And so it allows me to really isolate the type of thing that's taking place and predetermine the setting of that call before I engage with somebody. And, you know, when you pick up a phone and you call somebody, and they just answer the phone and they're not ready for your call, you spend a great amount of that time preparing the conversation. And so what I've learned is that it develops an incredibly high level of efficacy in the desired outcomes of wanting to connect people together is we're meeting on this topic. I know exactly where you are, what it's about. When I get my 10 minute reminder before the meeting starts, I can action everything in my mind so we can get right into the conversation. So uh, for me personally, I think that one has really changed, but I will also add a caveat to that it's really complex and I don't see people using it from a complex standpoint. I see them using it as a very rudimentary calendar system and there's no advantage to that. I mean, you might as well just email me or text me and ask me when I can book a meeting and I enter it myself. It doesn't take anybody to another level, but there are opportunities with all of its integrations and build outs of routing forms and everything else that You can really streamline everything that you're doing in a day, which allows me to not spend all of my time on the front side and actually step back and look at creative input over our business and spending the time engaging in the things that are really important. Nice. So another personal question, what's your favorite book or books? Yeah. I mean, you know, I love business books. I don't like business books with constantly regurgitated information because I don't find benefit in their two cent value if you strip everything away to the core principle and read the way that I do, which is not to get lost in every sentence, but to look for the reference point and break it down in almost point form. I like to read when there's something that's new and cutting edge. I obviously, I love business and process books, but I love reading things that opens my mind to a completely different way of thinking. And one of the books I read was called Base Culture by Lloyd Bradley. 
And it was about literally um, like ska and reggae and Motown and all sorts of things, but it was more about the business side of it and the payola schemes and all the other stuff that was going on to make industry push certain elements of music and it was really interesting for me because one of my first careers I worked in film and I was a sound effects editor uh, Gemini nominated but um, I digress it was fascinating because what it really does is it teaches you something uh, no different than one of my history courses where my professor made me read three different articles on the same event so that you were reading biases from different objections and trying to look at the factual information as overlap to really understand what took place rather than just the winner's story. And so similar to that, it really looked at how our perception of what becomes mainstream and success and everything is predicated on a lot of money moving behind the scenes that you never see mm. and causality of those impacts. And so when you kind of look at stuff like that, rather than just, you know, the usual books everyone else is reading, it makes you um, really kind of step back and think about your engagement and whatever else you're doing and finding creative ways to, you know, I'm not saying to illicitly go out and pay to get business, but the structure of understanding to create outcomes really opens up your mind in different ways of thinking. So I try to read stuff that isn't necessarily just the usual how to build success because arguably I learn a lot more from those by developing my own way rather than just doing what someone else has told me to do. For sure. Yeah, that's so true. That's a great answer. What kind of stuff do you like doing with your downtime? So what kind of activities are you doing? Ooh, oh, you know, my boys are five and eight. I, arguably, my downtime really revolves around them. And I am privileged. You know, I run a company that's entirely virtually based, which affords me the luxury of being able to move around and do things. And so we've got a summer home in Ontario. And I was lucky enough to spend July and August there while working and you know, getting the kids to really experience life on a lake and life on a boat and that sort of thing. And then when we're back here at home, I mean, I try to get out camping and actually disconnect at least for a 48 hour window where I can't answer a phone or something and just sort of live in the moment a little bit because arguably we're so tapped in on a 24 seven base that you have to force yourself to have that because a lot of your best creativity will come when you're not thinking about something directly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Jason, so much for coming on the show today and diving into Rent Perks. So if people want to get in touch with you online or learn more about Rent Perks, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I mean, our website's just rentperks.com. All the information is very transparent and available there. We've got pages on all the social media for LinkedIn, Facebook. I'm on those platforms myself. So if anybody wanted to engage directly, I'm happy to do so. And, you know, as I discussed with you uh, for your podcast listeners, we're going to set up a link on our website directly for your listeners so that they've got one single landing page. It'll have all the information that's freely available to them all at the push of a button. So we'll share that link in your comments as well and make that available to everybody. Okay. Awesome. That's perfect. Yeah. Corey, thanks very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. And I hope we'll get a chance to speak with some of your listeners and share what we're doing in the space. And hopefully we can find more people that see the value in what we're doing.
they'll be reaching out for sure. That's great information. I feel like we could have probably spoke for another hour, but we had to basically just cut it off at, at an hour. <laughs> that is the reality. I ended up in an interview. It ended up being like four times as long because you can really unpack everything. And we spent really 18 years in the ideation of this that there's so much going on. And then just the evolution of being in the business itself and operating and growing toward that next phase. You're absolutely right. So maybe that's where everybody reaches out and we have those longer phone calls so they can really understand, or maybe you want to do another uh, series where we can dig into some specifics a little bit more in detail. I'm happy to do that as well. For sure. Like maybe down the road with the short-term rental stuff too, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. That'd yeah. Be fantastic. I mean, that's a big ticket item. And I'll just tell you as a little teaser, most of the management companies out there go bust. And in Calgary alone, there's 4,000 units in the top five management companies, as an example, only manage 275 units. So they're representatively disproportionate. And so we looked at a lot of that for specific modeling and using all the tech and advancement and our personnel to advance it. So I think it'll be interesting. And yeah, I'd love a chance to explore that a little further with you. Sounds great, man. Thanks very Thank much. You. Okay. Have a great day. You too. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a Master Home Inspection Certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey, or my website is CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short. Please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.